Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. We're in the middle of uh, a series, uh, our vision series called Who We Are, and we're looking at uh, why we do what we do as a church. Uh, Last week, Don was here, and we had the privilege of listening to Don, and he was talking about why we are worshippers. What does it mean to be a worshipper? Um, not merely to just sing on a Sunday, but to, to live a life in full surrender to God and His commands, uh, and His command in His command to act in worship. Um, this week, where I've been given the duty to talk about, we are learners. Um, but before that, before we get into that, you might be thinking, what do, you, what do you mean that we are learners? I'm pretty sure with your Asian driving, you're still a learner, Andrew. That, that must be, your driving must be pretty bad, right? But if you've been in my car before, I'm, I'm not a learner. I'm definitely still doing, I'm still doing fine. But you, you haven't died yet. So. Um, but in all seriousness, though, what does it mean that we are learners? What does it mean? What are we, what are we learning? How are we, how are we defining this today? Um, and it doesn't matter if, whether you're a, you're a Christian or not. Uh, if you're human, you by nature are a learner. Right? If you're human, you're naturally a learner. We all live lives where we are constantly learning something. If you're at school, if you're at uni, if you're a young professional, if you're an older professional, if you're retired, you are constantly learning. More specifically, if you're Christian, you might be thinking, well, of course I'm learning. I, I learn from my mistakes. I learn from the consequences of my poor choices and my sin. I learn to be more empathetic and compassionate by being in situations that force me to grow. I learn from my life experiences. Is this what we're talking about today? Is this the kind of learning that we're talking about today? And I would say, yeah, all these different experiences are avenues of lifelong learning. But as for Christians, there, uh, these are ways that God will use you to, uh, use, uh, to grow you and shape you into the, moldness, uh, into the image of Jesus and grow you in your holiness uh, and, cr- and grow you into the person that you were created to be. But the learning that we're talking about today, that we're looking at, and I hope that we as a church will grow in and be marked by, is the kind of learning around the Bible. Uh, yes, the canon of Scripture that comprises of Two Testaments, Old and New, uh, 66 books, 30, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, written by 40 different authors over a span of 2,000 years, over three different continents, containing so many different genres like narrative, history, pro- prophecy, songs, poems, letters, all of this proclaiming about the one true triune God of the universe. Here at Sid Light, we... Who we are, we are learners. We, are, we want to be people marked by our study and submission to Scripture. But before we get into the topic of we are learners, I just want to tell you just a quick dream that I had maybe like last Friday, um, no, two Fridays ago. Um, if, you, if you know, I'm a John Piper fan. I love that guy. Um, and I don't really often remember my dreams. <laughs> Uh, I, I say that I don't dream, but apparently you do, you do dream, but that's beside the point. Uh, but this one day, uh, I, I dreamt of John Piper. <laughs> I was in some random church, and John Piper was preaching, and I didn't, I didn't remember what he was saying, but he asked about, like, um, he asked someone in the audience to, like, tell him about something about Second Peter. I don't know why Second. I'm not even reading Second Peter at the moment, but he asked about Second Peter. And because I'm a, I'm a fanboy of John Piper, I'm like, um, I tried bluffing my way through it. 
And, um, and before I could finish, he started to yell at me. He, he started to do this, like the, if you've seen John Piper preach, he does all the, the, the hand movements and stuff, and he starts yelling at me, you don't even know Second Peter. You don't even know your, what the Bible says, man. Do you even read it? And in my dream, all I could think was I was just sitting into the pew, and I was thinking, why are you yelling at me, man? <laughs> um, and I, I woke up right after that, and I felt really sad and convicted. Um, and I don't know, I, I have my doubts about this dream being something from God. I don't get dreams like that. Um, but the, the, aside of being from God or not, the point is, I want, the reason why I want to share this story with you is because we have this motion when it comes to reading our Bibles. And we know we should do it. But some of us feel really extremely guilty if we don't. If we're meant to be, a, we, we want to be people marked by uh, a learning of scripture, but, and we know it's good for us, but it's, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we read it and we don't understand what we're reading. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes we read it and like, I didn't get anything out of that. At, at the end of the day, sometimes we can't be bothered. I just want to get, and some of us, we just get up, we don't want to stay in the cold, so we just stay in the bed a little bit longer and avoid reading it. And I get that. I'm the one preaching this. I, I get that. I understand reading the Bible is difficult at times, and so much so that John Piper haunts my dreams. <laughs> but my aim today for you is not to give you seven steps to a more fruitful, quiet time. My, my hope, rather, is that we today grasp the gravity and the weight of what it is to be a people, a church, gripped by the character and the totality of God and his narrative. Not just to simply know things about him, but I want us to leave here yearning for a deeper and more intimate knowledge that transcends both the heart and the head. I want us to leave here today longing for a more vivid and richer understanding for the totality of his character through his divine text. And so to do that today, what we're going to do is look through two verses uh, usually it's like we go through chunks of the Bible. Uh, today, we're just going to look at two verses. Easy. Uh, and that's our main text today is in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. If you have your Bibles, read, we'll whip it out and we'll read it. We'll, read it. Uh, we'll be referring to this text all day, so feel free to put your bookmarker there. It says this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for a proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you're a note taker, we're hoping to explore the fact that we are learners in three ways today. Uh, firstly, we are learners because the story of God is worthy of knowing. Secondly, we are learners because the word is how God changes us. And thirdly, we are learners because God has a will for us. I'll quickly go through it again. We are learners because the story of God is worthy of knowing. We are learners because the word is how God changes us. And we are learners because God has a will for us. Let's pray and see what God has for us, eh? Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word that you've given us. 
Um, I, he- I pray that you help us see what you have to say about your word. Help us to not be simply acquainted with it, but be saturated in it. Help us see the weightiness of your story. Open our eyes to its realities, and I pray that you speak to both our head and our hearts. I pray that what I say today not be my words, but your word, Lord Father. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So to start off, I'm going to just talk about Humans of New York for a second. Anyone know what Humans of New York is? Can we just raise your hands? Humans of New York. Most, most people know what it is. So if you don't know, if you don't know what Humans of New York is, it's a, it's a photo blog project um, in New York by... Uh, a guy named Brandon Stanton. And if you're familiar, he, his idea was to post 10,000 photos of just random individuals in New York. And it's a blog that launched in 2010, and uh, currently it has 18 million followers on Facebook and 8 million on Instagram. And the reason why he's so popular is because he started to, he started to add stories to his photo blog. When he first started, he just had photos up, and, that was, and it didn't really gain much traction. But when he started putting stories up, it blew up like that. Um, it became an instant hit, a viral sensation. And I was looking into it, and I was wondering why it was so successful. And I think it's because it's the stories that were added. Human beings are creatures of story. We all love a good story. Heck, if you look at your own social media platform, well, like, all the social media platforms, really, what was added in the last year? Stories, Snapchat stories, Instagram stories, Facebook stories, Excel spreadsheet stories. <laughs> no, that's it, it a meme, but everything's, everything is adding a story. Humans are obsessed with stories. We feel connected, we are moved, we are empathized, and we feel more human. No other creature on the planet, I dare say, let alone the universe, does this. And every culture in the world does it. And the Bible does it too. It tells us of the epic story, not about us, but about God. The reason why we are learners, firstly, is because the story of God is worthy of knowing. If we go back to the, second, to the verses that we talked about in 2 Timothy, the, if you read the passage context, uh, Paul was writing to Timothy in, um, this is Paul's final letter before he died. He wrote this letter to Timothy to encourage him to be absolutely glued to the word in the midst of uh, people claiming to be Christians but were actually really had no fruit of holiness and were actually dangerous people because they would, they would um, persuade more susceptible people and less mature people out of the faith. It's a warning that Paul gives. It's in this warning that Paul gives to Timothy that he exhorts him to go back to the word. Let's read it again, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Here at Light, we, we read, uh, when we read Scripture, we read it from the historical, grammatical, plain reading of Scripture. We believe here that the Bible is the means by which God has chosen to reveal himself. We refer to the Bible as special revelation. Special because we believe that God intervened 
um, himself to make it specific, specifically to, in the formation of this text. And we see this in, in this verse. It says, all scripture is, God, is breathed out by God. But breathed out doesn't mean that God just divinely inspired it. It's, it's, it's certainly no less than that. But in the Bible, we see God breathing out a few different things. In Genesis 1 and 2, God breathes out into, it breathes into dust and he makes humanity. God's breath has life. And as a result, all scripture has life in it. Not just the Gospels or Paul's letters, but all of scripture. Genesis all the way to Revelation and everything in between. Even those weird law books and the minor prophets you've maybe like read and never maybe heard of once. There is life to be found in all of the story of God and who it points to. Hebrews 12.4 says this, the word of God is living and active. The story of God is living, not dead. The Bible is not merely a historical artifact and or a collection of ancient documents. Time magazine in 1966 might have insinuated that God is dead, but we know that God is well alive because the story of God is able to give us life. And the Bible tells us that he is the living God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And this same God has invited you to know him. Know him how? In John 4, 23 to 24, Jesus alludes to this question when he tells the Samaritan woman um, that we are to worship in both spirit and truth. God has invited us to know him through his word. He's invited us to worship him knowing his truth. Not Oprah's truth, not your truth, not my truth, not the truth told by our society, but God's truth, which is the one and only truth. All actual truth, factual truth, is God's truth. And God has not invited us to know just a bit of truth here or a bit of truth there. He has called us to know the truth. The truth of God and inherently the story of God is worth knowing because it is greater than any human interest story that could be told by a New York photographer or a weekly magazine. The Bible is the most glorious story to exist in all of time. It's a timeless message about a timeless God. It tells us about an all-powerful, eternal, triune Godhead who created and entered into limited dimensions of time and space. He created beings made in his likeness as an expression and an overflow of his glory. But, but instead of just scrapping his creation when they rebelled against him, he chose to redeem them by becoming one of them and doing what they couldn't do. And as a result, he saved his rebellious people and has promised to restore creation to what it was meant to be. This is the story of God. There's a reason why us humans love movies and love books about redemption. We love these kind of stories. And the reason is because it speaks to our innermost being and our core that there is something wrong with the world. And we don't need simply just a fix. We need our souls to be made alive again. 
and the world needs to be restored to what it once was. Us humans love this redemption story. And when you think about it, we know this as Christian, as Christians, all of his story is his story. All of history is his story. He is the grand author of the cosmic narrative. He's the visionary director orchestrating all things seen and unseen. He's the strongest actor who delivers a performance that costs his own life. And unlike Hugh Jackman, he's absolutely the greatest showman. The Bible is how we see God gloriously at work in history, redeeming his people and the world. And this is a little bit of conjecture, but I would argue that it is the predominant way in which we see God's glory on display. The heavens are amazing. The Bible is better. And yet this glorious God is not like a snobby celebrity. This God of ours, he wants you to know him deeply, personally, intimately, through his living word that was breathed out by him for you. Now you might be thinking, yeah, Tran, that's all well and good, but I struggle to really relate to God in the Bible. I just want to sing his praises. Yeah, I totally, I totally get that. I really actually get that. In fact, I've heard on multiple occasions when, from heaps of well-meaning Christians, they ask, how do you think you best relate to God? And some people say, I just love getting to the presence of God, or something along the lines of, I love praying, or I love serving, or doing art, or going for walks, and look at nature. I totally, I totally get that. God has uniquely wired you with certain passions, with desires, with giftings, with preferences. But Scripture is super clear about how we are to relate and to love God. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 23, 37. He says, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I put it to you that God is so worthy of admiration, he's so worthy of relationship, he's so worthy of worship that if you truly knew the soul-satisfying depths of joy that you could have by learning his word, you would want to do anything and everything to know your God creator and give him your absolute utmost affection. Not just by simply reading it, but devotedly studying it with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind. Most of us are tertiary educated through here. We live in a really privileged like, area and society. Most of us are pretty smart by the world standards. And God is calling you to study and read the Bible with your mind. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with spending time in God's presence. Absolutely, like, nothing wrong with feeling God being near in prayer. Nothing wrong with lifting your hands and, and singing, Spirit, lead me when my trust is that. Yeah, so that's, there is nothing wrong with oceans. It's a little overdone, but I feel like it's, it's a Christian means these days. But there's nothing wrong with that. But there's, just like there is nothing wrong with spending time with, the, spending time with your spouse or significant other, you know, when you 
hold their hand and you look at each other googly-eyed and smitten and just, just being in their presence. Like, I'm no relationship expert, but I feel pretty confident in saying that there is more joy to be had, though, in those relationships when we know them better. Not just spending time with them in their presence is important, but it is so much more enriching when we know them better. Know what their likes are. Know what their dislikes are. Know what their interests are. Know what their attributes are that are core to their personality. Know their story, their past, and look at them where they are today. To know their fears, their desires, their dreams, their aspirations, what they want and what they need. You do that for your wife or your husband, right? I'm not a betting man, but it'd be safe to say that you could spend a lifetime with your spouse and still be learning more about them every day. How much more so with us being human that we should spend more time learning about the infinite God of the universe? It almost seems silly to ask, but how much richer would our relationship be with God if we were seeking the knowledge of who he really is? How if we were seeking, how glorious he, under seeking to understand how glorious he is. I'm not bagging you out if you, if you love getting amongst the Holy Ghost when you, when you worship. That, that's nothing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, for, for those of us who love reading the Word, I would also say that Jesus told you to worship in spirit and in truth. So if you're just standing there and feeling like, I don't feel like worshiping right now because I feel like my voice is really bad. God has commanded you to sing with a joyful, like make a loud and joyful noise, noise unto the Lord, right? He's told you to worship. But, that's, but God has called all of us, no matter where our proclivities are in terms of how we relate to him, he has called all of us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. I'm not meaning to guilt trip you here, but I just want to have a real talk about just, just our Bible habits. Some of us, I know, have read the, cover, the, the Bible cover to cover multiple times, and some of us have probably touched it three times this year. But me knowing most of you guys, I think m- the majority of us somewhere lie somewhere in between where we have, we, we, we have some sort of framework about what Christianity is, but we don't know much more than Jesus loves me and he died for me, and I have, I have, I have him now. That's, that's it. And that's okay, because... I'm still growing out of that as well. But as Charles Spurgeon put it once, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. We never outgrow the Bible. We don't just we, we don't just re, we don't realize how much we need it. We are always learning. And I would also argue that the reason why some of us aren't great learners of the Bible is because of our preoccupation with other things. Some, some of those things are good, some of those things are bad, some of those things are indifferent, but most are distractive. For some of us, if we're honest, we, if you could get a university degree by the number of hours you will watch TV, we'd be pretty close to getting a master's in Netflix and chill. Which leads me to my second point, that we are learners because the word is how God changes us. Despite the Christian life being a life of, long, a life of lifelong learning, we are so prone to forget about God. 
We are so prone to wonder from God and the holiness that he has called us to live out. I don't have to tell you this. You know this yourself. And we, ex- we experience the pull of this every day. But as Tim- 2 Timothy 3 says here, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Profitable for what? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. It's quite plain here. We gain because the word teaches about God. We gain because the word reveals to us when we are out of step of God, with God. We gain because the word tells us how we are to change our ways. We gain because the word instructs us on how to grow in our Christ-likeness and be sanctified and be made into his image. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 says this, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. If you know the, the context of this part of John, Jesus is praying with his disciples before going to the cross. But earlier, just a few moments earlier in John 13, in the events leading up to this high priestly prayer, you see, Jesus, you see Peter say to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you, man. And for those of us who are familiar with the passion narrative, we think, Peter, that's cute, man. <laughs> really? You're going to say that? But think, think about this for a moment. Peter, Peter we, was the one which Jesus said he would build his church on. Peter was the one who saw Jesus in the flesh. Peter was the one that saw Jesus feed the multitudes. Peter was the one that saw Jesus heal the blind. Peter was the one that saw Jesus cast out demons. Peter was the one that on the mountain of transfiguration, he heard God say, this is my beloved son who I am with well pleased, who I am well pleased. Listen to him. This Peter, the one who possibly had the closest earthly human experience of Jesus in any one of history. And Jesus prays for him and the rest of his disciples that they be be sanctified in the truth, for his word, for your word is truth. And later on, what does Peter do? He denies Jesus. We, We might be thinking, you had, one, you had one job, Peter, one job. You, you experienced Jesus, and you still don't do what he's called you to do. And you deny him. If anyone had any shot of, not, of to be sanctified, not by the word, but just by the experience of Jesus, it was Peter. It didn't happen. But Jesus prayed and instituted that his disciples would be sanctified by the word. How much more do we need to be sanctified by the word? In fact, it's essential, so essential that the Bible calls itself spiritual food. Jesus himself in Matthew 4 quotes in Deuteronomy, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But if you read the Bible long enough, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect here. There's a little bit of a problem on one hand, you had Peter, who, who Jesus prayed for that he would be, sanct- uh, he'll be changed by knowing the truth. But on the other hand, 
We know from Scripture that Jesus chastised the Pharisees and the scribes. And these guys knew the word back to front. They knew exactly where on the page a certain word would be. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, people who had no life transformation, and they knew the word like no one else. In John 5.39, to prove it's John 39, John 5 says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it, is they, it, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There is a problem. There's a problem here with the word, or at least seeming to be a problem. And we, we've experienced this ourselves. If you know Christ, any sort of Christian, chances are you will run to people, and maybe this might be yourself as well, you, you run to people who read the word and come out the end, other end and are not changed and live in, in contrast to what God desires for them. People who know the word really, really, really well but are super arrogant. They lack life and lack heart transformation. But from this John 5 passage we talked about, we see two things. We see that one, Scripture bears witness about Jesus. And and two, just as importantly, we must come to him. Think about this for a moment. Every heresy in church history has started from the Bible. Every heresy in church history has started from the Bible. And that, this sounds kind of scary because didn't you just tell me to read the Bible, Tran? Like, I don't, I don't want to start a hist- like, I don't want to be a heretic. <laughs> but when you think about it, these people who, 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 are her- like, who produced heresies, they were reading the Bible trying to find truth, but what they really followed was their own hearts instead of coming to him. Some of them read scripture incorrectly and were led down, led down a path that, were, that, wasn't, that wasn't orthodox. And, so, and most of them didn't return to Jesus. When we read the Bible and it teaches us something, it oftentimes rebukes us and tells us to change in ways and pushes us towards Christ. And that actually that grates, us, that grates against our natural human beings. It doesn't matter how genuine your intentions are when you find out truth. Part of, part of when we read Scripture is the fact that we must come to Him. Reading Scripture and going to Jesus go hand in hand. But in order to know who to go to, we have to study about who it is that we're coming to. And we don't simply read the Bible um, devotionally, but we must devoutly study it. The word disciple, the Latin root for disciple, disciplus, disciplus, yeah, it means student or pupil or learner. And closely tied to the word discipline is, no, disciple is discipline. As learners of the word, we must let the Bible speak for itself. We must let the Bible as a whole in context of the way it was written, speak for itself. In combination with reading the word in a faithful, fruitful community and in prayer, this is how God uses the word to change us. 
by learning of whom it professes and then going to him. And interestingly enough, when we go to him, one of the side effects is that we learn our purpose. Which leads me to my third point here. We are learners because God has a will for us. Again, I'll read that same verse that we talked about before in 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Christian, in Christian circles, you hear this language about, oh, I'm just searching for the will, God's will on my life, or what is God calling me to do? It sounds kind of nice and has tones of faithfulness and obedience in it, and it makes us sound a little bit pious a little bit, and maybe a little bit righteous. And then we take passages like Psalm 119 and 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But then what happens is that we are perplexed and confused and we don't know what to do when we don't see instructions saying, Tran, you should do this. You should take this job or marry this girl or go overseas. We get confused when that happens. So what does a passage like that actually mean? That that his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What does that actually mean? Does not path insinuate some sort of journey to somewhere? And this is where things can get really tricky for us because we love to make ourselves the center of the story. We love to make our, insert ourselves into the story. We ask, what does this mean for my life? We ask, just skip the sermon part, Tran, just get to the application. What's in it for me? And strictly speaking, yes, the Bible does have instructions and commands and application, but that's not the point of the Bible. When we read Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We think of this coffee cup verse and we think that God is just a guide to our, to our lives, which is kind of true, but it's, that's... That's very misconstrued. What this verse means in context is the word testifies of God and our Bibles lead to God. Scriptures scriptures bear witness of Christ. They don't bear witness of your dream job or your girlfriend. Remember, the Bible is not not about you. It's about God. And in this narrative, God's plan from Genesis 1 was for you to be made in his image. That you were to be made and to reflect reflect his glory. Again, remember, this is God's narrative. All of history is his story. All of life, yours, mine's, and all those in the universe, we play a role in the story, but we are just characters We're not the center point. And this is the will for your life, to reflect him and to glorify him. I know when we hear this, though, that some of us feel really squeamish. (laughs) Tran, are you telling me that my life is not about me, but about God? And then internally we start singing, Shannon, what about me? (laughs) It isn't fair. I've had enough and I want my share, right? We live in such a consumeristic culture. We live in such an individualistic society that we get told that everything is about us. 
Life is about you. My, my work is about my workplace and my satisfaction. My relationships are about my happiness. And we take the same mentality towards our relationship with God and the Bible. My faith is about my sense of self-actualization and self-esteem. That's what we say. Scripture is actually clear that your faith doesn't belong to you. The faith that was given to you, to start off with, was actually given to you by God. We put our sense of identity and purpose in doing the right thing, quote-unquote. Yeah, and we know that we're saved by grace and we're hidden in Christ, but some of us unknowingly, what we do unknowingly is approach the Bible like a roadmap, telling us what to do at every single step. And don't get it twisted. God is definitely keen on what you're doing with your life. He's interested in what you do. But he is far more interested in who you are and who you are becoming. A lot of us sometimes when we read the Bible or listen to a sermon, we come with the question, what does this mean for me? We come looking for a pragmatic solution to a problem. We don't come looking for Jesus. And I've been guilty of this as well. I've done this a lot. But as John Calvin put in his opening chapter of his Institutes, without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. When we study the Bible, we need to realize that the ultimate question, question that it is answering is, who is God? And this has huge implications in terms of how we even read our Bibles and approach it. Regardless if you're, if you're a Christian who's not touched the Bible all year, or if you're following a 365-day reading, reading plan, we actually need to do two things. We firstly need to read our Bibles, but just as importantly, we need to be reading it the way it's meant to be read. By learning who God is, by committing to learning about Him, we will then know who to be like. We, need, we will then know whose image we need to reflect. We will then know God's will for our lives. When we are absolutely enamored and awestruck by the vision of the God the Bible gives us, as a side effect, that will overflow into what you do. God's will for you is to know him and be like him in order to glorify him. And some of you might be thinking, man, that's such baloney. That's such a reductionistic, minimalistic answer, Tran. You're just avoiding the question, what about what I do my life, what I should do with my life, Christian. I used, to think, I used to think the same thing. But first and foremost, God is, has declared that we be holy. Why? Because he is holy. It's not that God doesn't care about your quarter life crisis or the trials that you're in at the moment. God absolutely cares. But I don't think we realize how, how ferocious God is about who we are as his redeemed people. We should care about that. As learners of God, all of what we do is meant to be an overflow of who we are. All of what we do is meant to be an overflow of who we are. 
When Second Timothy three says that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, the way we are equipped is in light of who we are. When I was moving churches uh, a couple of years back, this is a it was a big decision for me. And um, I used to go to an Asian church, um, and you don't simply just leave an Asian church for another church. Uh, culturally speaking, like. Asian churches are like your immediate family. It's like you're emancipating yourself. That's a true story. Um, so I asked a pastor that I really respected that, um, what, 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 what do I do? How, how, do I, how do I find out God's will, from, God's, God's will for me in this? And you know what he said to me? He, he told me to read my Bible. And I knew the guy was a solid Bible teacher, and I, and I didn't... And I knew that he didn't, he, he didn't mean that the Bible was going to tell me yes or no. And I was kind of annoyed because it's like, dude, I, did you just blow me off? <laughs> Answer my question, bro. But in the end, I realized now that it wasn't what, whether I moved or not that was the, the primary concern. The primary concern, the most important thing, is who was I as an adopted son of Christ and who was I becoming? God's will for us is to be like him. God's will for you is to be like him. And to be like him, we need to be learners of him. It's that simple. To be like him, we need to learn of him. I have no doubts that some, for some of us, that'll be really hard. For some of you, it'll feel mechanical and unorganic and just plain difficult. But I have no doubts in my mind that it can bring you, the Bible can bring you more enduring joy than you could possibly realize. Let's learn to grow in our yearning for God's word. Let's seek God's face by communing with him through his word. Let's study it devoutly and come to him in both prayer and community. Let's open the book up and let it ride up against the fabric of our lives and convict us of where we need growth. Let's read his word and engage with him and become more like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word that is, it is God-breathed, that it is, has life. It is the source of life is that you've inspired it and it's been faithfully transmitted to us. We thank you for the one that it bears witness to. We thank you for the one that, we can, that it points to, that we can trust him and we can put our lives solely on. I pray that you help us be like you through the reading of your word. Help us understand it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Soften our hearts as we read it. Give us a desire for your word. Help us with our attention spans that endures distraction. Help us keep our eyes on you, the prize. Help us to realize that through the word that we, that's how we know you most deeply and intimately. And pray, Lord, that through your word that you be you give us a vision of who you are.
you are so great and you are so worthy of all glory and praise. Help us, Lord Father. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.